HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, also ranchers. And today we're talking, and we're going to stay within our time frame with Alice, who is really an amazing woman, and I'm, I'm so glad that we got to meet. And I just had such a good time going down to Kentucky and finding this kind of little, like, special secret nook of amazing humans. Alice, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to talk to you. And I was glad to get um, to meet you at the Slow Let's just go briefly into a description of your operation and um, vision for the place that you're from. Well, I'm from, uh, it's east of Lexington, so we're in the foothills of the Appalachian and Mountains, and it's really beautiful green country that I love, and I've been away from it for about 10 years, and about a year ago I moved back, maybe a year and a half, um, to help work on our family farm, which has been in corn and soy and cattle, um, and then also to start a nonprofit in ag education, and we've got a, a kind of more of a homestead scale energy and trying to develop, you know, starting developing my own capacities and developing then our neighbors' capacities to do these homesteading skills and help to make us more self-reliant. And, and on the farm, at the same time, we're transitioning away from commodity production towards organic production, you know, growing food for people instead of for animals, um, hopefully the cattle market is really high, but, so it's hard to do right now. But in the coming years, uh, finishing cattle on grass and direct marketing some of them, you know, as a way to kind of reorient our farm economy for our little team of people. And then also to reach out to other people who want to take this journey and, and bring them 
to our land to get a more of a kind of like a cultural flow of ideas and information. So this project, this is a cultural project of um, disconnecting or the European Union, they use a nice word in their policy discourse, it's called decoupling. Um, decoupling from a commodity-structured commodity, commodity structured agriculture for export uh, to a community, to a more community or regional scale, more diversified um, context presents so many challenges. And... Um, but it feels like some of the most powerful work, the reconfiguring a new economy inside the old economy. I wonder if we can talk about that part first, and then we can talk about the homestead's work. And But maybe right. just some of your guiding principles and goals as you approach that major challenge um, of reconfiguring a system that's really designed um, to do one thing and changing it to be designed to do something else. I really appreciate that question because that is really central to what we're trying to do um, here uh, is make something that works for neighboring, you know, long-time farmers, most of whom had a tobacco base. You know, some of them are still growing tobacco but those numbers are going down. Um, you know, people have just been doing the same thing for decades. Most of our county, it's a beef cattle county more than a crop growing county. But, you know, once upon a time, this place would have been feeding itself. And now, you know, it, it is coupled to these huge commodity flows and this way of getting our food from the supermarket. And if we're going to really impact, you know, the food system, we have to do something that we have to change the way those farms work. We have to help them survive, you know, because and, – and we're in a region where – it's not Iowa, you know, in Iowa it's get big or get out or you know, the Midwestern tale. Um, it's hillier. It's, you know, it's, it's more broken up, so we're never going to be Iowa. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, everybody took the commodity road, you know, from the 50s to now. That transition is, like, pretty much complete. And now there's a f some young people who are trying to do something new and it, that's in trying to build a regional food system. And I just, it's really starting to happen here, and it's so exciting. Um, but at the same time, we won't really want to concentrate on this transition work for working farms of a certain kind of medium scale and help people start to use more ecologically smart practices, get the organic premium. And then they're starting to get something like per acre, it gets to be more comparable with tobacco than like with commodity corn. Because commodity corn at harvest time this year was worth like 350 a bushel. And that's the, that's the wake up call, you know, should be 
for farmers in this area. Like it's just it, there's no money in it. And so it's like this great opportunity to help people change. Completely. Well, um, the vol. I mean, we just should a little bit interpret for our listeners who may not be following the pulse of commodity corn prices that corn went so high, spiking up, and precipitated by ethanol subsidy, and that that sparked major planting of corn, and that was caused by ethanol subsidies, and corns. Con- coincided with food riots and created a condition for land speculation and land grabbing and a bunch of people making a bunch of money in commodities and investing a lot in storage and land and consolidating and growing farm size. But now the price of corn is, boom, back down. Right. And as long, I mean, it'll... It's so vulnerable. It's so vulnerable so that when the glacier melt ends in Asia and, you know, suddenly they're bidding up the price of food corn across the world. I mean, it's just, it's so interconnected and it's so Wall Street-like. I mean, it's, it's it's traded on an ex- the Chicago Exchange-like paper is but it's food and it so it just puts everybody's life at risk and i mean nobody here is thinking in those terms most people here are not thinking in those terms but i really feel like we're putting our home farm in a position to make it you know to be quote-unquote resilient as these shocks inevitably come you know, and then the homestead scale work at Plowshares, and and also this kind of consulting work that I want to build up through the nonprofit to help other people start to transition and start to think this way, um, can help our region. You know, to and our the people, the people in our region, to be healthy. That is. Tough so, time. So you're. So let's talk a little bit about the um, the work that brought you home and the work of the homesteads. And you know, Wendell Berry wrote a famous book um, about the unsettling of America, and the project of his new school there at St. Catharines is resettling, the resettling of the countryside and empowering farmers' kids to be able to come back and make a livelihood in. Um, in a real economy yeah, at home, and you're like poster child of that. Um, can you talk about the homestead's vision? Well, and I mean, what brought me back was not, I mean, I did not grow up learning homestead skills. And, and homesteading is not what brought me back, but what brought me back was family and access to a place to live um, that I and and no rent, you know, because I was paying rent and working in Houston, um, where my husband's family's at, and I, I learned so much in Houston. I'm so grateful that I went for five or six years, but I'm so I really appreciate getting to come back to my family and to this land that it's just so beautiful here, um, and that brought me here. But then, 
I started to see, okay, the challenges of the economics of the home farm and the challenges of working together with multiple families. Now there's, there's three parents and three kids who are all, we're all in partnership on the home farm. And, you know, there's so much, you know, such a, there's a huge interpersonal puzzle, but it's so worthwhile and it feels so good to figure out. And my kids, I'm homeschooling my kids and I can have them with me all the time. At first, when I got back here, I took a job in town at a school part-time because you think you need the money and you think you need to send your kids to school. And I quit doing both of those things. So my little ones who are four and five are with me all the time. We're outside a ton. Like, yes, they spend a fair chunk of time, like, watching videos on Netflix while I do the books. But, you know, they get a lot of time to be so creative and running around. And it's just been a really good atmosphere. And I think that rural America is that way. And there was actually just an article that somebody got to me on Facebook about unschooling that was in Outside Magazine. And it was the same deal. It was, you know, parents whose kids, their kids are a little bit older than mine. They left what they were doing. Now they're on, you know, they have a farm. They're animals. Uh, it was like this talk that Salatin gave at Slow Money about how agriculture should be kid-friendly. It shouldn't be like, you know, big vats of poisonous chemicals and lagoons of animal waste. It should be, you know, look at the baby chickens. And we're trying to make that happen for my kids so that they grow up strong, you know, and and there's so much disconnection between people. Like, uh, I mean, people, I don't know, People. I just feel like people are so, can be so isolated to their own little households, and we're just trying to work together more and more, and it's been really beautiful. And it's so, like, so that's, the resettling, that's how resettling America has, has been for me. And we've really seen that with a couple of people, if you're doing everything industrial in an industrial manner, you can handle a lot of acres, but everything you get off of it is really cheap and you're burning up your soil, but you need more hands to be able to do it right, to be able to really t- get value out of the land. It just takes more people on the land. So, you know, our team is growing up and, and that's another role that the nonprofit element like has in my mind is we want to draw some more people here. I have two rooms and I have been a loft. So I have three nice rooms at a old, it's an old, uh, like 1840s era log house that has a little addition on it and it's a cool site for the you know homesteading type work and I've got an acre carved out to do more like kind of permaculture garden um, style far you know farming and production and I'm really looking for some people who want to come here who would put their energy into their own enterprises here 
that fit in this kind of marginal spaces that are available and, you know, kind of support themselves and, and build on to this operation to make it more complex because it just needs more hands to get more complex. I mean, this is such a wonderful, you're embodying so much of my of the thinking that I've been seeing in terms of succession planning and transition planning and filling up every niche of the land with care and enterprise and interlocking um, activities. You know, I t we have a really nice film, Our Land film, about Jason coming out. Jason um, runs Omanchi Farm, and they got started just on someone's back acre that was their old homestead site. Um, and, you know, grew a little, grew from a little operation to a bigger operation. And, you know, really the, the first opportunity was the hardest. Once he'd proved how well he could maintain that land, you know, more and more and more opportunities came. And mm -hmm. you have the value and benefit of, you know, actually being related to the people who own the land and, um, being able to share a familial space like that is is really tremendous, and um, you know, in the Facebook age, we often are thinking of ourselves as so connected. And um, but I'm I'm agree I, I I I agree with you so much about the kinship and the like village of humans it takes to pull off um, a farm. And I'm really I really cherish your vision to include strangers. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've always see. I've backpacked in Central America, and like I said, I lived in Houston. I've lived in Philly. I mean, I went to college somewhere else. Like, I like rooms of strangers. I I love rooms of strangers, <laughs> and so actually, and I think that my mom's husband's son, who's here, you know, uh, he, he, we need more young company out here. <laughs> you know, and like. It's just, I mean, of course, I end up finding myself so busy kind of between just, like, being with my kids and then being doing the farm work, and then I spend a lot of time, you know, computer work, kind of building up the nonprofit, and I don't hang out that much. But if there were some people living in the cabin, like, that – that would make it a lot easier, you know, to, sh to be sharing meals, to be, you know, just, I, and I know, see, I listened to what you were saying about the hobo trail of organic farmers going from place to place and their old beat up cars and, you know, learning from these organic operations. And I just, I really want to get on that <laughs> on that, uh, you know, the the Lonely Planet guidebook of <laughs> little of, of farms that people can be on because I really like that energy that happens the when there's travelers. Yeah, the travelers, the pollinators, yeah. the new eyes. Yeah, I like that Lonely Planet. Well, there's, I mean, let's just make sure that our listeners know there's Woof. High Country News, Orion, Atra. Yeah, um, I'm up on Atra. I feel kind of nervous about it sometimes because our place doesn't look, you know, if you look at the woofer site, 
there's all these nice, <laughs> well-established, hand-labor-based, organic vegetable farms, and we are way not that, right? So we're just mm-hmm. getting established with producing plants, you know, with our hands in some kind of farmer's market scale. I mean, I made it through having a table all year last year without, like, embarrassing myself. Um, there were some places of the garden that got way out of hand. I'm trying to do it way different, you know, this spring. But, I mean, I'm young at that. And then the main farm, you know, it's a beef cattle, cow-calf operation. Yes, we use rotational grazing. Like, yes, we need to split our paddock some more. And then there's row crop farming, which, um, you know, just isn't what woofer people do. So I re- – but, I mean, but then there's, there's, like I said, there's these marginal spaces. We could – I mean, I'm planning to do a broiler, you know, at least one or two runs of broilers next year. You know, and then – there's there's room to build that, but it has to be somebody more like it's not just like you can stop by for two weeks and it's there and you plug in your labor. It's like I need some people who want to come and stay for a while and like really build this up with me because it's not there already. But we are up on Atra. I mean, if people want to find us, it's under Plowshares for Appalachia. Um. Well, Alice, I really I want to do it. I want to do an episode two on this topic because we haven't delved into a lot of the nitty gritties of converting to organic and perceptions of neighbors and interfamilial conversation and tips for getting along. Uh, <laughs> that's that's been, been ten years out of the house. Yeah, there's all. Is. I mean, I I could keep talking. It's true on any of those topics. <laughs> um, but, yeah, for now, I just want to make sure everybody knows how to find them um, at Plowshares Appalachia. And, um, yeah, it's, it's plowshares4appalachia.com, you know, or you can look on Atra for Plowshares for Appalachia. Um, on Facebook, we're Plowshares for Patriots because that's, that's what we were, but everyone kept thinking it was just for veterans. So... Uh, we wanted to change it to Appalachia, and it's sort of incompletely changed. <laughs> it's like kind of half and half, which is a little awkward. But you can find us either way. Um, yeah, Plowshares right for on. Appalachia. Okay, well, we're, de- we're going to schedule more because I, I, this is only starting. I I wish I could come down there and just spend a couple weeks and hang out. Um, but I hope that we can drive some some nice traffic your way, and I hopefully. Well, I just, this is really a great this is a great project you're doing. Yeah, and I mean, if you're making a long drive or something, you're welcome to stop by for some short amount of time. But uh, yeah, well, I'm I think it'll work. I think it's you know we just got our first grant through Plowshares, and we're doing this homes to homestead workshop series, and trying to build a core group of people who come, and we're going to do rainwater harvesting, and we're going to make soap, and it's starting. Thank you.